You may not know my background, but some of you know that I grew up in Guinea, West Africa. So my parents are missionaries. And so I grew up for from the time that I was six years old to the time that I was 18. I lived in Guinea, West Africa, except for two years in there. We came back on a furlough. And um, it just gave me a very unique childhood. It really broadened my horizons as a, as a child. I was able to um, learn different cultures, speak different languages, and just do things differently, and then move from culture to culture and see how different cultures were able to do things, did things differently. And it, it also provides me a wealth of stories, a very interesting cross-cultural communication situations. Um, and I was thinking about this last week, just how hard and interesting and fun cross-cultural communication is. I remember um, going out with my mom when we were in an African village, and, you know, we were the only, the only white people in this entire village. So, like, as soon as we step outside of our doors, it's like people just, just swarm us. We were, and so we were, were greeted a lot. And uh, when my mom went out, she was greeted very warmly. And um, amongst the Susu people where we lived, there's this whole process for greeting. You ask all these questions and have responses. And if you really want to honor someone, you, you compliment them during, de- during the greeting process. And um, more times than I can remember, I was out with my mom and someone would say, Madame Esteli, that's what they would call her. Oh, you look fabulous. You look so much bigger today than you did yesterday when I saw you. And and at first, I remember my mom thinking, no, no. And she would kind of argue a little bit. And, and then finally, she learned to just take that as a compliment and be very gracious in her response. And to them, to my mom, I mean, she grew up in, a, in the United States. So to her, that was incredibly offensive. Um, but to them, to tell someone that, you've you've gained weight is to say that I see that God has blessed you enough that you have money to eat you have money to take care of your family you are blessed and um, I watched my mom as she learned to be gracious and and in the strength of of her character knowing who she was she was able to say thank you and return compliments um, when people said that. And, and I learned a very important lesson in all that about cross-cultural communication, that communication is both the message intended and also the message received. And, and to have effective communication, those two have to be on the same, on the same wavelength. And that, um, can, can be a little tricky when it comes to cross-cultural communication. It makes some great stories, though. There's lots, lots of different stories of crazy things we've said that we didn't realize we were saying. So we'll, we'll, we can share more of those later. Um, but I thought about all this because we've been studying through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is a story of the early church. And, uh, and as the church started, it started as a Jewish, Jewish sect um, in Judaism. And so it started with mostly Jewish people. And then as it started to expand and to spread with Peter and Paul, as they went out, um, Gentiles started to believe. And Gentiles is, is, is a biblical word for people who are not Jewish. 
And they started to believe all these different people of different cultures, different customs, different languages, different greetings. They started to believe in Jesus. And the church quickly became a, um, an ethnically diverse group of people. Um, people who would come together because they all believe in Jesus, but had very different backgrounds. And uh, we'd like to think that it was just a really happy, happy group and no problems, but that's not, that's really not how it was in the early church. Um, in Acts 15, Micah, Micah talked about this a few months ago. In Acts 15, we read about the Jewish Christians who were angry with the Gentile Christians and wanted to force them to follow the Jewish customs, to, to follow the, the Mosaic law, to adhere to what they considered to be right and, and religious. And um, because for the Jews, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the Old Testament laws was really, really important to them. It told them how to behave, how to remain pure before God, how to run their nation even. And uh, the, the leaders in the church um, came together in what's called the Jerusalem Council, and they, they had some very um, heated debates about this and finally came to the conclusion that, no, Gentiles do not have to become Jews. They do not have to adhere to the Jewish traditions in order to be um, Christians and to follow Jesus. And, and so they sent off this letter to all the Gentiles that were being converted. And so as we read through the story of Acts, we read all that, and in our minds, you know, 2,000 years later, we can think, okay, so that, there's that problem, and they solved that problem, right? That tension is gone. But, but that's not how the story plays out. And in my experience, when, when you have diversity, there's, you, you, those tensions still exist, and you still have to talk about them, and you still have to work through them. So we're going to read today a story of when Paul goes back to Jerusalem. It's going to be from Acts 21. It'll be on the screen. You can also get out your phone. You can um, pull up you version. It'll be in there. Or an old-fashioned Bible, either way. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> oh, I know. Our books are old-fashioned now, right? <laughs> an old-fashioned Bible. It's good, too. So Acts 21, verse 17. When we arrived in Jerusalem, that is Paul and his companions, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you've come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone who... Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. And that's the Mosaic law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat, strang from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. 
Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Let's pray over that text as we continue. Dear God, we just thank you for the richness um, of, of the biblical narrative. And God, we just thank you for this story. And 2,000 years later, some of it is confusing, and we're trying to understand it. And God, we just um, ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to really hear the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot of cultural elements in that story. And so let, let's dive into that. The first part of that, they arrive and Paul gives a report to the, um, to the leaders, to, to the elders there. And it says they praise God, which is wonderful because that really does show their acceptance of the Gentiles. It shows that they, they accepted them fully into the church. Um, however, after they praise God for that, then the, the leaders bring up this rumor, and they say, hey, there's been a rumor about you, Paul. Um, we know, I mean, we've already established that the Gentiles don't have to be Jews, but there's this rumor that you're teaching the Jewish Christians to give up the Jewish customs and live like the Gentiles. And, and so we're, we're concerned um, that you're telling the Jews not to be Jews anymore, basically. Which is interesting since in Acts 15, there were, they were, the Jews were telling the Gentiles that they had to be, they had to be Jewish. What's easy, what's interesting to me is that sometimes in cross-cultural situations, it's easy for us to get defensive. And when we learn about another culture, it almost, um, it, it's easy sometimes to think of that as that's an attack on our way of doing things instead of that's a different way of doing things. And so the Jews were really concerned that Paul was just totally, by saying that the Gentiles didn't have to adhere to Jewish customs, that Paul was kind of dismissing the whole Jewish tradition and custom, that that wasn't important to him. And so the leaders say, to solve this problem, to dismiss the rumor, they say, Paul, why don't you participate and pay for the purification rites um, for these four Jewish Christians? And to understand the purification rites, you have to go back to Numbers 6 in the Mosaic Law, and it's, um, it's a chapter that describes the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow was something completely optional. So um, it, was, it was totally optional and not mandatory. And it was when um, people would come to the temple and take a special vow to God and say, I'm going to dedicate this much time. And they could set the time. And I'm going to really focus on God. And I'm going to appreciate God. And I'm going to commit wholly to God. And signs of this part of this was they didn't drink any fermented drinks. They didn't drink any wine. They didn't eat any fruit of the vine. They didn't, didn't shave their heads. So depending on how long that period of time was, they would have long hair. Um, and then at the end, once they set their date, they would come and they would shave their heads. And they would um, pay for, for different sacrifices to be made. On their behalf, on their behalf to God. And so, um, these four Jewish men had come to believe in Jesus, but they still, this was, this was a, a tradition that was still deeply important to them. It was meaningful to them. And so they were choosing, um, to honor God in this way. And so the elders asked Paul, 
come and pay for it, which was really an act of generosity. Um, and, and other, uh, something that was fairly common at that time, wealthier people would pay for, for people that didn't have the means to buy the animals to, to do this um, if they wanted it. What's interesting to me is Paul doesn't just pay for it. He then goes and joins them. And so this required at least a seven-day um, cleansing period since he had been away in Gentile nations. And so he spends that time, and he pays for himself and, and the others. And then the story ends. And that's, that's, all, that's all that's in there. And so in reflecting on this story, I have to ask, well, why would Paul do that? Why would Paul do that? And I think the, the lesson we, we, we glean from this is that Paul demonstrated a respect and appreciation for the law, the Mosaic law, in order to promote unity in an ethnically diverse church. So, so Paul chose to participate because it was important to these brothers that were doing this. And it didn't go against what he believed. And so he was supporting them in this. And, and sometimes when we think of the Old Testament, the New Testament, we think of the, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, we think, oh, that, that's no longer good. The Old Testament's bad. The New Testament's good. And, and really, that's, that's flawed thinking. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, God's purpose for the, for the law, for the, for, for the Old um, Testament law, is that to reveal himself as holy, to show people what holiness was, to set Israel apart as a nation, as his people, so he could, he could work through them and show the world what it looked like to follow, to follow God. Um, and, and we know they didn't do that super well, right? And so then another purpose would be to show that we can't do it on our own, that people can't obtain holiness, on their own. And then, and ultimately, I believe the, the biggest purpose of the Old Testament law is for, for God to provide a way for forgiveness and for us to approach God in holiness um, through sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, that was done through the sacrifice of animals, which the Jews were still adhering to. And then in the New Testament, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And so he fulfilled the law. And after Jesus, we don't need to we don't need another sacrifice because he's the perfect sacrifice. So, so Paul understood this, and he had a great deal of freedom from the law because of Jesus. He didn't. He used to be a Pharisee and follow every little little rule in the law to try to obtain holiness and try to obtain the favor of God, and and now he's found this freedom in Jesus from that. He didn't have to adhere to the, all the do's and don'ts. He could approach God. Yet in this freedom, Paul chooses to take the Nazarite vow with his, with his Jewish brothers, with, with his Christian brothers. So I, I want to explore a little more. Why would Paul do that? So let's read another passage. It's written by Paul. And it's in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. I think this really sheds some light on it. He says, though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave 
to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And to those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. We really get a glimpse of Paul's perspective. He says, I'm free, but I'm going to choose to use this freedom to engage diverse people. And and I'm going into diverse cultures, and I'm going to share Jesus within that culture. Because to him, sharing the gospel was more important to him than his, his personal preferences, his, his, what he was most comfortable with. What's interesting that, to me is that as he, as he goes from Gentile cultures to Jewish cultures, he's not changing the gospel. He's not compromising the gospel. He's still preaching Jesus as the Son of God who died and rose again and um, gives us hope. But he's just setting aside his personal preferences and kind of conforming a little bit to the culture he's in so that he can share the message in that culture. Mike and I were talking about this this week, and he used a phrase that really, I thought, really resonated with this. He says, Micah said he was engaging people on their own turf, their own, on their own turf. Wherever they're at, we're going to engage people wherever they're at. I think that's powerful. Like, we, we talk about that a lot in foreign missions. If you're going to go to a foreign land, then you need to learn the customs. You need to make sure you're being appropriate, you know, those kinds of things. And yet, here in our community, in the Tri-Cities, we have diverse cultures. Even in our little community here, we see some diversity. Um, and diversity, be it ethnic diversity, be it religious diversity, people from different backgrounds, different um, different. Uh, schools of thought and theologies. And so the question I really want us to ask as a church from the, you know, based out of this passage is, well, how do we engage our diverse community? How do we relate to people that are different than us? How do we relate, relate to people of different cultures or ethnicities? How do we relate to people and get to know them on their turf? And that's both in our small community here at the Vine, but also in the Tri-Cities as a whole. So I want to talk about four things, um, four things that I think are important, four ways to, uh, to engage diversity, both as a group and individually. So first of all, to intentionally seek out relationships with diverse people. Um, if, if you're thinking, well, gosh, I don't, I don't have a lot of friends or maybe any friends that are different than me, then that's an opportunity right there. That's an opportunity to, to seek out relationships with people that are different than us. It's interesting in our society, um, we really value individuality. 
And, and in a lot of ways, I really like that. You can say, um, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. Understand me and appreciate me. Okay. And, and we can, we can stand confident in that. And yet for me to stand confident and say, Hey, this is who I am. Understand me and appreciate me for, for who I am. There has to be someone else on the other side wanting to understand me, taking the time to understand me, taking the time to get to know me. And, um, when there's a, when there's a cross cultural barrier as well, then that's even more important. Um, I taught, I taught third grade for nine years and we had transition words. Transition words are, I would give them directions and they would sit and still and listen to the direction that I'd give them a word and that when I said that word, then that meant they could continue. It just kind of helped with classroom management. And I remember for, for a long time, our transition word was empathy. So I would say empathy and the kids would reply, walking in someone's shoes. And I think that's a really powerful concept when we think about um, seeking out relationships with, with diverse people and communicating cross-culturally. Walking in people's shoes, just making it a point to really understand where they're coming from. Um, I think that's, that, that will take us a long way. Number two, um, exhibit curiosity. Exhibit curiosity. So, so be interested and ask questions. Be the conversation initiator to, to start those conversations. And um, when there is diversity, be it in ethnicity, be it in age, uh, be it in backgrounds, when there is diversity, there's also opportunity for questions. Because you can ask about the food, the holidays, or family life. You can ask about their religious backgrounds. You can ask about, you know, if it's an older person, well, what, what was it like when you were this young? You can ask about some of those generational things. If it's um, diversity and, like, interest, you can ask about what they're interested in. Um, one, one type of diversity that I've experienced in the Tri-Cities is, this, uh, is a socioeconomic diversity. Um, this last spring, we, as a church, volunteered at Soul Soup once a month, and I love Soul Soup. Um, and so we would, we would get to make the food and serve it, and then we'd sit down at tables um, with the guests there. And, and some of them had been homeless for, for two decades. And, and when, we, when I talked to them, just it became so obvious that our the way we view the Tri-Cities and our worldview was just so different. And their experiences were so different. And, and I got to learn about that. And as I ask questions, it's also really important for us to listen, to listen well and to listen attentively, focusing more on understanding that person than, under, than, than trying to be understood ourselves. In order to do this, to, to seek out intentional uh, relationships with diverse people, to, to exhibit curiosity, we have to be willing to get out of our comfort zones because it's going to be awkward. Like, that's just how, how it is. It's going to be awkward at times because you're, you're communicating with people that have different preferences and different social, um, social norms and cultural norms. Um, I think of my mom, you know, like, you might receive a compliment that you don't feel like is really a compliment. <laughs> but 
But those are the kinds of things that you, you work through, and, and it's a window into the, their thinking. And so you, you have to be okay with a little bit of awkwardness and have to have a little bit of sense of adventure in that because you, you get to try new things, celebrate new holidays or, or, or um, do things together that you might not normally do. Um, the fourth thing I want to talk about for, for ways to engage diversity is to eat together. And that is so simple, just to eat together. Uh, eating food, uh, Mike has talked a lot about table fellowship. Like It's such a universal need. We all need to eat. And when you eat together, conversation tends to flow more naturally. So just eating together. Be kind, be loving, be considerate. Really, if, if we can do those things, then we can communicate cross-culturally. So I want to ask, why, why would we do this? Why is it important to reach across differences? In Acts 21, Paul does this to promote the unity in an ethnically diverse church. So he does it to show respect and appreciation for someone else's um, culture And really, he was a Jew himself. He had moved away from, from observing the law in that way because he was you know, preaching to the Gentiles. But he understood how important it was. So he was trying to promote that unity. And I think for us, it's, it's kind of the same thing. We need to promote the unity in an ethnically diverse church. This, the story we're in isn't just about us or isn't just about the people that are just like us around us in our little groups. We're part of this greater story of God just wrapping his arms around humanity and saying, hey, I know you can't do this alone, but I'm going to love you and I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to redeem you and we're going to walk together. And if God can wrap his arms around the diversity that exists in our world today, then, then that should be our model. That, those are the, the kinds of things that I want to be about. Because God is saying, saying this, that I want to love you and redeem you, and I want you to walk with me, not to just one type of person, but to all people. In Revelation 7, Verse 9 through 10, it says this, and this is John who wrote this, and he had a vision of heaven, and this is what heaven was like. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. We were wearing white robes, they were wearing white robes, and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, diversity is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, he brings in diverse people, and he loves them all equally. And so if we're to be a part of God's kingdom, then as a church, we need to have this posture of open arms and embrace and embrace that diversity. We serve a creative God who sees beauty in differences. He sees beauty in different cultures and different ways of doing things. Um, This really speaks to me. 
It speaks to me because as a kid, that was really a focus of mine. I didn't, I didn't have a choice. I was always trying to kind of fit in and, and, and figure things out within that culture. But as an adult here, even though I'm not, I'm not living overseas, this needs to be one of my primary focuses as well. And I think it speaks to our church as a whole. Um, at the Vine Church, we really want to be a place of belonging, but not just a place of belonging for one type of person. We want to be a place of belonging for diverse ethnic groups, diverse backgrounds, just where, where people are valued because they're people, not because they look a certain way, because they're, they're, they're um, God's children. And as, since we live, since our, our little church is situated here in the Tri-Cities, you know, one of our dreams is for our church to reflect the diversity of the Tri-Cities. So the diversity that in our community be reflected in, in our church. And this brings um, great richness to our gatherings and, and great beauty to our gatherings. So for your takeaway today, for this week, Let's remember we have a lot of freedom in Jesus. We have a lot of freedom. Let's use our freedom to share our faith and to promote unity in a diverse population. Let's use our freedom to stand with a posture of embrace and love on people, even if they're different than us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord. We thank you for being a creative God, created um, beautiful people that come in all shades and all forms. And, and God, we just praise you for that creativity and that beauty. And we ask that you would teach us to reach across whatever boundaries there may be, to reach across whatever divides there may be, God, to love people and embrace diversity. God, because we know at your throne, we know there's going to be a great multitude of people speaking different languages from different parts of the world with different cultures and different, different ways of thinking. And we, God, God, we know that we are all children. We are all your children. Lord, we thank you for this example. We thank you for this opportunity to love. In Jesus' name, amen.